0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the show. Well, you know what? It's been another big week in real estate, but we're not talking as much about the sales, because quite frankly, we know it started to soften. No, the sky is not falling, but I'll tell you what, the government sure wants to weigh in on real estate this week. All sorts of rules and regulations they want to start futzing with. So how about we break them down today? Um, you know, one of the interesting things, I was at the U2 concert last week. What an incredible show. And sure enough, what's the wind government want to do? Well, they want to control how ticket sales go. What else can they step in? Well, you know what, I'm going to open up the locker for real estate this week and find out what are they trying to work on. Fortunately, uh, I was on with The Rush with Ryan and Jay this week, and always great to be on the show. And we were talking about the new rules that they want to bring in that the government wants to ban double ending a transaction which means you represent both the buyer and seller so they want to get involved in the actual real estate transaction and I have to tell you I'm actually a believer in this new rule I believe that it's really tough for a realtor to represent both a buyer and a seller. So this is one of those things that I'm not necessarily convinced that it's the wind government getting involved where I actually think it's all the powers to be that are getting involved. You're going to hear some acronyms in the news for the next little while. You're going to hear REBA. you're going to hear ARIA, you're going to hear CREA, you're going to hear RICO, you're going to hear TREB. Well to break it down and make those into English, it's the Real Estate Business Brokers Act that is the rules and regulations that realtors have to follow. Of course ARIA, Ontario Real Estate Association we've got CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association, RICO which is the Real Estate Council of Ontario they were our guests the other week and are going to be returning soon so we could talk more about how they govern realtors and when they go off the rails and TREB, Toronto Real Estate Board. So there's a lot of people that want to weigh into this and all of a sudden now after all of these years, everybody wants to change the rules. Why is that? Why is it that everybody wants to jump in on it? Well, when I was talking to Ryan and Jay this week, one of the things, of course, that we have to bring up is what is good for the consumer? Well, representation is very, very key in a real estate transaction. And how can you wear the hat for both a buyer and seller? Almost impossible, in my opinion i don't think that you can do it and truly get the best deal for the buyer and then get the best deal for the seller and one of the things that a lot of realtors promise is that if they're going to do both ends of a transaction they're going to cut their commissions so i'm going to pick on a million dollar price tag because let's analyze this it makes more sense to understand the numbers than it does actually, you know, sitting there saying, okay, who's representing who? So if we take a look at a lot of realtors will promise at reducing their commissions by one or two percent when they double end a deal, that sounds like a lot of money, 20,000, anywhere between 10 and $20,000 on a $1 million transaction. You know what? It is a lot of money. But the real question is, in negotiation, could have the buyer gotten a better deal by getting a better price, maybe $30,000 less? Could have the seller actually received more than the $20,000 over the actual price that that buyer that was brought by their listing agent, could have they done better? Could have they negotiated? And this is where the whole conflict comes in. Who are they representing? Now, of course, it's really interesting because feedback is all over the net and everybody's making comments. And a lot of people are saying, wait a minute. If they get rid of it does that mean that everybody's paying five percent and does that mean that the actual end user the buyer who's trying to purchase is always going to be paying more you know they always want to bring in the fact that realtors and their commissions you know they're getting so much money which i i agree there's a lot of commissions being thrown around in today's values but at the same time they want to turn around and say well if they change the rules it's only so the realtors put more money in their pocket Well, as we all know, looking out in the big picture, a lot of realtors don't list for 5%. In fact, some of them will list for a half a percent and give 2.5 out to a cooperating broker. So we can't always talk about numbers and realtors and commissions. What we have to talk about is who is representing whom? And my my take on this entire situation, I'm gonna stand by what I said earlier in the week and I'm gonna to continue to stand by this, I don't think there's too many agents out there that can represent both parties. So for us, when we take a look at the big picture right now, the idea of saying that realtors should not actually represent both parties. And again, this is what they're talking more about the GTA market. When the wind government and when the proposal is being made, they're not talking about the outer markets where there's only a couple of realtors, perhaps, in a marketplace, smaller marketplaces. Look, if there's only 5,000 homes in a marketplace, and let's say there's six agents, chances are there's going to be double representation. But they may not be having multiple, multiple offers, and at the time that people are not going to be able to get the proper deal, and this is what we really want to focus on other things that they're doing when government wants to have a conversation about uh, review of preferential condominium sales the idea of doing a preferential condominium sale means that a lot of developers are sitting there reaching out to agencies and saying listen you can turn around and control the sales you can buy them ahead of time and then resell them later so is the idea that everything that comes to market must have a fair play well this one's gonna be a tough one that I think for them to Control because, quite frankly, when a builder makes a decision that if he wants to offer it out to certain buyers, who is allowed to turn around and get involved and say, No, you must take it to the public first and you have to be fair to everybody? Isn't it the seller's right to decide who they sell it to? Again, the wooden government getting involved, and we have to talk about that because if this is the case of real estate in the future how much control is the government going to try to do work with in the real estate industry you know first and foremost when they turn around and use the 16 gauge uh gun approach in the last few months trying to reduce the market they wanted to bring it down and say we want to make things affordable well now is that not affecting the baby boomers who have all their retirement tied up in their properties and when they continue to push things such as more rent control they want to reduce things at what point is it that we have no control of a transaction? And this is where we have to be very, very cautious. Um, Speaking of cautious, uh, when we take a look at a marketplace like it is today, I'm going to caution everybody because interest rates, uh, Bank of Canada is right on the cusp of probably increasing prime. And I think that people have to start getting in their heads that the interest rates are probably going to start going up over the next little while. And if you're going to do a calculation about what you're looking at as, as far as a mortgage amount, I think you need to start you know, focusing on a 3% interest rate uh, for the next five years when you're starting to do your calculations. Yes, there's better deals. and the deals are going to remain for the next little while. But I think we need to focus on the increasing rates for the future so you don't overextend yourself. I think that's so important. A couple other uh, topics in the news and I've been getting a, actually quite a few calls and I want to thank all my listeners by the way um, you know some people have actually been calling me here at the office at the simple investor or emailing me and I'm always happy to answer all your questions but uh, a couple of people have been calling me asking me about situations that they've bought from a new home builder and they didn't get an assignment clause and at this point they're not aware that they are now stuck to the closing so when we talk about buying brand new from a builder Remember, one of my main rules is make sure you have an assignment clause. But if you do have an assignment clause and you do decide to sell it, remember the income you actually receive from the differential of the sale. So let's say you make $50,000 that is now deemed taxable income that year if you have not taken title so it's not capital gains it is taxable income and a lot of people aren't aware of this situation in fact they're really not focusing on the end result meaning how much money are you putting in your pocket after taxes. And if you think the CRA and the wind government aren't going to be keeping their eyes open on the developers, um, the, you've got another thing coming. The truth is is that what they've done is they're creating more of a task force to be able to go and meet with the builders, take a look at their original agreement of purchase and sales. So how that works is, let's say you are the original buyer of a condominium. Okay, It hasn't closed yet. And what will happen is, let's say you decide to sell the piece of paper that represents the, the, the purchase of that condominium. You sell it to somebody else. Well first and foremost you're still on the hook for it until it actually closes. Okay, you can't just sell away your responsibility no builder will allow it in fact in their documentation they will say that you are responsible for the closing so if the buyer who you sell that piece of paper to does not close guess what you better be ready to close or else you're gonna lose your deposits second of all if they turn around and they do it on it they'll see the original agreement of purchase and sale from the developer they have to show it and then they'll take a look at land registry, who took title. When you see the two differences in the names, they know that a transaction has happened in the middle. And this is how they will catch Everyone and trust me they are going to start catching everyone because there is a huge huge tax implication For a lot of these properties that are being flipped and so that's that's speculation and you heard miss Wynn she was saying We're going after the speculators So you could be one of those people that they're gonna track down if you've done this So you know what keep your tax orders in fa- in, in in good standings because you don't want to get caught on that um, by the way Uh, coming up shortly, I've got Tim Hudak coming on. You know the name. Uh, Of course, he's one of our hosts here at uh, News Talk 1010. On top of that, he is also the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. I've got a lot to talk about with Tim this week because we've got so much going on in the real estate world. And, you know, he just had an article published about them putting pressure on a lot of the rules and regulations. And I want to know why. Why now? Now, I'm pretty sure it's because Tim is now at the helm and he's really going to be pushing it. But at the end of the day, why is it now that everybody wants to get the rules, you know, updated? Why didn't we do this a year or two ago? I'm kind of curious. In fact, I'm also curious why the Wynn government wasn't doing anything until now. Is it because we've got what, maybe an election coming up? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of that motivation that uh, is is pushing the Ontario government currently, uh, run by the Liberals, to be doing more than their share of affecting the actual. Real estate market. So we've got lots coming up this hour. Again, make sure you stay tuned. And if you want to reach me, you can always reach me at infothesimpleinvestor.com. At and we've got more coming up after this. And welcome back. Hey, listen, have you ever thought of renovating a home, perhaps knocking yours down, putting up a brand new one? Well, you know, one of the things I like to do is obviously bring in an expert. You've heard my next guest several times here on the show, but this time we're going to just talk... Contractor, and I want to welcome in John Carlos Sefinas, and he is from Fairside Homes. And John Carlo, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Todd. Always a pleasure.
0: You know, always great to have you on. And and I have to tell you um, that you know I wanted to bring you on because what I've recognized as you as a guest in the past that you know you just tell it how it is, and you know it's kind of funny because a lot of times people think of contractors like they think of realtors <laughs> okay <laughs> you know they're always reaching for their their pocket uh, their, their their wallet to make sure it's still there <laughs> okay and you know I I believe and have always believed because you know I as you know I used to be a contractor for years and years and years and one of the things that I'd like to recognize with people is the fact that there are some really good contractors out there of course there's people that hurt the industry as realtors do the same thing because I'm great realtors but you got the schmarmy ones out there that are making a bad name for us and so in your case I thought you know what why don't we have a good conversation about you know renovations perhaps knocking down building new yes, you know, some of the things absolutely. that people need to do yes so if if somebody and and you know because we've had such a run-up over the last few years in real estate in general you know a lot of people are buying older homes you know ones that you know need you know major work major renovations or for, for, for that matter knocking them down do you notice one thing or another that kind of determines you know it's time to knock it down like is it just because they got a huge lot or yes. or
1: what what great what, question Tom. what are some of the parameters you look at well the um, most people choose to renovate the existing structure and that's simply to uh, work within the existing bylaws because new homes are governed by different zoning requirements and then you also have issues such as uh, new home warranties you've got issues of hst uh, taxes payable if you're going to be doing it to flip and sell so a lot of people like to use the existing structure as much as they can um, for a number of reasons taxes is one zoning bylaws and requirements uh, is another
0: yeah in building permits because if you leave part of the structure up it's a lot easier to obtain a building permit to do an addition, or to you know, I mean, obviously, major renovations. You have to make sure you're within code for all the the different um, different uh, groups. But you know, one of the things that I, I've recognized for years, you know, when you develop properties, is that you know you have to make an application if you're brand, especially for a brand new property. If you're yes. going to knock it down and you're increasing the size, you know, I don't know if people realize that. There is only a certain percentage of lot coverage you can have on a property.
1: You're absolutely right. And that varies um, by area in the city. Sometimes, even on the same street, you may get a different zoning requirement. So, you know, if you're only allowed to have one third of the lot covered by a dwelling, and then even within that one third, the entire square footage of the house can only be 60% or 66% of the lot. Those are your parameters. Now, if you want relief from that, that's when you have to go to the Committee of Adjustments and seek what they call minor variances. Right. But some of them aren't so minor, <laughs> as you and I both know.
0: You know, and one of the things I think that people don't realize is that your neighbors actually have a say when we start talking about variances. So if somebody, if somebody's, if somebody wants to put up a fuss and say, listen, I don't want you building that big house beside me, you know, then they can actually make a bit of a stink when they go
1: to council. They They most certainly can, and we've seen it (laughs) firsthand, you know, and even when we go to some of our own stuff, there's 15, 20 people there to oppose it. But, uh, you know, you try to work with the neighbors as much as you can. You try to accommodate any concerns they have. And if you can demonstrate to the committee that you are working with the neighbors, that you're meeting the tests of the Planning Act, you know, that you're in keeping with the character of the, of the neighborhood. I think your results are generally more positive.
0: So I'm gonna to talk to you about two scenarios, okay? Cause I know that you do both. One is, you know, renovation addition. Yes. And then we talk about brand new. Correct. I wanna back up and just talk about brand new for a second. Okay, so here's the thing. You get faced with a scenario where somebody says, I want you to build us our dream home. There's reality. <laughs> and then there's the wishful pricing. Yes. Um, in today's marketplace, and I know you can't nail it down because we don't know what kind of upgrades people are dealing with, but there should be a mindset going into anything about what costs Okay, is there a like a range? And you can give me a range because I don't want anybody to call you up and say, "Well, t- you know, John Carlo, you told us on Simply Real Estate." Uh, but <laughs> is there is there a rough range that we look at per square foot yes, when we're building? Uh,
1: it, but you the the only caveat with that, Todd, is that you have to have enough square feet in the structure to spread the cost over otherwise right. it's a crazy cost so if, for sure. example if you're doing a small addition that's 15 by 20 right. and someone says to you that's going to be $220,000 you're going to say hang on that's 300 square feet what kind of square footage you know right. it's not going to work out sure but if you're asking me what's it going to cost to build a 24 2500 square foot home right. i'm going to say to you i'll give you a range of about two hundred and thirty dollars to three hundred and thirty dollars depending on your finishes depending on your your on your, your tastes. tastes
0: yeah yeah exactly so you know back back to back to then building brand new obviously you know when we start building five thousand square foot homes okay and there's a lot of them out there obviously you know you you've, you've had your share of those so the question is that is it, it does your square footage Price come down, building five thousand square feet versus twenty five hundred square feet.
1: Yes, absolutely. There has to be economies of scale realized, and if someone tells you differently, well, then you should you should (laughs) Should kind of of run. Yeah, you should kind of run. Yes. So, you're right. There's a certain sweet spot after a certain amount of square footage, the cost per square foot is going to decline. Right. And uh, yeah, for so a five thousand square foot home, you can get a fair bet for three hundred bucks a square foot.
0: Right. Right. Okay. And then, if somebody's building twenty five hundred square feet, then you're, you know you're you're, you're pushing the, the envelope. You're pushing
1: the envelope because let's say that's a build cost of at three hundred of seven hundred and fifty thousand. Now, yep. people who undertake these projects, they know sometimes seven fifty doesn't get you that fancy marble or those great tiles that sure. you want, or those interesting doors. Yep. You know that you see, but you know again, it's all based on what your expectations are.
0: So let's let's then focus back on, you know, not everybody's gonna be able to build brand new. So they're gonna to talk to you about renovations. Yes. And you know, you, you did make an interesting point and and you know, general rule of thumb obviously if people are putting on additions, there really isn't one because it depends if you're putting a foundation on it. Correct. So this is this is one of the things that I think that again, um and and I'm gonna get get everybody to listen to us very carefully. I would like everybody to get a pen out, piece of paper and and Shortly before we before we go to break, I want you to be able to tell everybody how to reach you because that way they can can reach out to you. But when we take a look at it, you know, can people do you know modest renovations in an affordable range, or is it is it like
1: immediately as soon as you start breaking foundation and breaking walls down, you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar barrier? No, you can. You and and that's a, again a great point, Don. I, I want to dispel the notion that the minute you start doing renovations, it's going to be a huge huge undertaking. There are some renovations that can be affected for a reasonable cost. All depends on what you want to do. You can certainly, uh, you know, give your kitchen uh, a facelift or renovate it. Your bathrooms, and you don't have to break the bank to do that. Again, be smart. That's where a value of a good contractor comes in. You know, right. a contractor can help you source the uh, fixtures, your materials, help. Guide you through the process, help to get that building permit a little quicker than you otherwise could. Sure. So yes, you don't need to spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a minimum. Right.
0: right. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that I think people probably get a little bit scared of with contractors. They say, listen, it's just a small renovation. If I involve a contractor, it's going to make it a big renovation because they're always going to want to upsell me. But the tr- the truth is, is that a most the, the the average buying public don't have access a to the deals that you do because you do this all the time. Sure. And second, of all they don't have the knowledge.
1: So you. You might actually save them money because you know how to do it properly. We'd like to think so. I mean, some people come to us with some pretty far-fetched ideas, expensive ideas. You know, we could do it, but it's going to be at a substantial cost. And we give them alternatives to that. Alternatives in in terms of techniques, in terms of building materials to be used to affect the desired look they're going for.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think think it's important that um, first and foremost, you need to think about what you want to achieve. You know, like start out with your end goal in mind and that's or hiring somebody like yourself
1: yeah have a plan have a plan you have to plan like anything else plan your renovation carefully you know we have seminars at at build the uh, industry association i'm at that speak to the five essential steps of a successful renovation so you know follow that it's on our website go to the website at build.ca or renomark.ca, and and you could see it there it's again common sense but common sense as we both know isn't so common <laughs> so how about you tell our listeners how to reach you then you can get a hold of me at uh, John Carlos at fairside com. Excellent. Yes. and the number is 416-721-2224
0: so folks um, definitely you want to reach Reach out to John Carlo if you're thinking of a renovation in your future John Carlo always a pleasure having you on the
1: pleasure is always mine Todd thank you
0: excellent anyways when we come back we'll have more so stay with us we'll be right back after this and welcome back as Haya had uh, alluded to a little bit earlier you know, the real estate world I think is in the middle of upheaval, and we've got so much going on. And instead of me always venting my spleen, as most of you know I do each week, uh, one of our you know our, our top guests here at Simply Real Estate is Mr. Tim Hudak, and he is CEO of Ontario Real
2: Estate Association. And Tim, great to have you back. Good to see you, Todd. I think it's like my number four appearance on your show. I, I think so. Yeah. Kind feel of like Alec Baldwin on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> but I won't do my Trump. It's I was not just very good. Say, yeah. you know, a trumpet
0: here <laughs> <laughs> um. Wow, you know, since you and I last talked, there has been so much going on in the real estate world. You know, we, we you know, late later in the hour, I, I want to talk to you about obviously the market itself, but you know, the government, you know, they seem to be stepping in it. You know, you and I have not actually spoken. I think since I, I call it the sixteen gauge shotgun approach that they implemented in the real estate world. Right. Um, what do you think? Is a lot of stuff working, or is it? Did they just kind of just throw anything at the wall to see if it would stick?
2: Well. Um I think for the most part, there's a, a psychological impact on the marketplace. And I think there's no doubt that across the greater Golden Horseshoe, it's a bit of a, a breather in the marketplace. A lot of the realtors I talk to say it's returning more towards a balanced market. It's how they describe it. And there's one that I'm particularly very concerned about. So I, I don't think it was like throwing stuff against the wall. They, they did interact with us, like, you know, from... The Ontario Real Estate Association with our president, Terry Cardarelli, and John Odie, our governance chair, we had about 16 meetings with the premier and the finance minister, I gave them our advice. We think ultimately the best solution here is to get more supply in the marketplace, right. more listings. That's good to make sure that we maintain the value in our homes, but we give a kids our chance to, to get a place that they can afford, the next generation. And they listen, they're moving on the supply front, We'll we'll push them to go a little further, but there's been a lot of progress. On the demand side, I think what impacted was that a lot of buyers then started saying, well, the government's acted, so let's see how this plays out in the marketplace. A lot more listings came on in the Greater Golden Horseshoe in response to higher prices. So sellers were saying, okay, maybe it's time now to make a move, and buyers being a bit more cautious. If our pattern follows Vancouver, I'd expect demand to ramp up again with a bit of a leg and we'll probably back into higher prices you know, six eight months down the road. Sure, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you touched
0: on a couple things, and and I appreciate you sharing this stuff with us because I don't know if many people thought that the provincial government put that much thought into their approach. Because from a public's perspective, it seemed like a knee jerk reaction. It was this everything's going to happen now, and here it all is. You know, so you had your instantaneous uh, taxation on foreign buyers, and then very short uh, time period, you had the um, them stepping into uh, rent control, you know, uh, April 20th. And so it, there wasn't a lot of distance there. And you and I talked last year, actually, when the provincial government in BC implemented a, you know, buyer's tax like they did here. And it was very quick. It was two weeks, though. There was kind of like a warning shot. Everybody had to get going. That didn't happen here. It was just, you know, next day it's implemented. Anybody, any, Anything that happens, you're going to be paid a buyer's tax. One of the things I w- I, I'm curious about is that, you know, did they not think that that might have an adverse effect on some people that were already under contract? Because we've already got, we've already heard some of this in in the industry. I've been talking to a couple of the uh, the mortgage specialists out in the world, and they're saying, look, if there's some people that got caught. You know, they thought their house was going to sell right away. This came into effect, and now the market's pulled back a little. So they're kind of dancing with two properties. Yeah,
2: it's true. And let me, um, you, you brought up one point, and I'll get to the, the bigger picture. The one issue that you know the Ontario realtors are very concerned about was the new rent controls you mentioned that nights earlier on there's one that we're very concerned about because I think that's a permanent negative impact there's a lot of mom-and-pop investors that'll have a property too, sure. They're, you know mom-and-pop landlords and when you cap the increase they can get and then put that big burden on their backs of the Landlord Tenant Act which is imbalanced against landowners or sorry landlords and owners sure. Uh, I think you're going to see fewer rental houses come into the market as a result, fewer rental condos, and that's not good for people looking for choice. Yep. And the last thing I'd uh, I'd say um, on the bigger picture, I think their goal was to try to get that delicate balance of taking some of the um, the heat out of the market, still allow it to move forward not take away people's value that have already invested, but to try to slow down the accelerants. And, and governments are never really good at that kind of delicate planning. <laughs> in Vancouver, you saw a big drop-off in the number of people that were in the market, and then prices came back over time.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you, you touched on something there where you said, you know, make affordability for some of these new buyers. Um, I struggle with that because it's kind of an adverse effect to the people, and I'll call them our baby boomers. You know, they've got their life savings in their homes. And part of this is part of their retirement that they've been so focused on saying, look, you know, eventually I'm going to sell my property. Hopefully I can max out my, my, my value there. And this is going to fund my retirement. Well if we, if we are being forced to bring our prices backwards a little, and I understand, you know, kids coming into the new market, and I, I, I have to be careful where I say kids, but the millennials, the younger ones, if we start looking at that and say, okay, listen, let's make it affordable f- for them. It's kind of a negative effect though is because now we're taking some money away from the other generation and that I think is, is it's going to be more detrimental to the future when we start looking at things like government subsidizing people's retirement.
2: Yeah, so it's a delicate dance that government tries to do, and it's very difficult because most of government's instruments are very blunt instruments, right? Sure. But I think what they would try to achieve is that you don't reduce the value in people's homes, the biggest source of savings for the middle class, so they would continue to appreciate, but not at the spikes we were seeing. But what we kept bringing to the table as the Ontario Real Estate Association on behalf of on of 70,000 realtors is the best thing to do is bring more supply into the marketplace. So we had seen a dramatic reduction of listings and we're not building new homes anywhere near like we used to, to keep up with population growth. Sure. Millennials trying to move out of mom and dad's houses or immigration. And that way you can make sure home ownership stays within reach Without undermining the value of those that are already own homes,
0: you know that's a, that's a, that's a great point because I know you and I have had uh, numerous discussions along the, uh, the lines of supply and you know a lot of people I think mistake the idea of supply being how many units are for sale in the marketplace when it's actually we need more units built like there like it's it's a defined number because no matter what our population is going up so sooner or later we need more units not not just more listings because there there's the problem. Is that, you know, we can sit there and say, great, so the market gets a little bit softer, we've got more listings. But that's not going to still balance out the increase of the population down the road. And I think that's something that, you you know, you've definitely spearheaded and you've been, you know, very focused on it from some of our conversations in the past, was that we need to focus on the fact that no matter what, we're going to have an inventory shortage for for the next X number of years, no matter what.
2: We're we're way behind population growth and immigration growth, and let's not forget the millennials, who are now, you know, some getting married, they've got jobs and their careers. That's a pretty good-sized cohort, but they're having trouble finding a place to call a home of their own They're still with mom and dad. And when you saw the number of new homes being built drop from anywhere like 17,000 10 years ago to under 1,000 a month in 2017, that's just not keeping up the time so when you build a new home and say a couple of a couple of kids move into that new home they free up the starter home for somebody else sure problem is we're not doing enough of that and that's the big solution we need to find around affordability while maintaining the value of people's existing homes
0: you know there was a there was a study out that was saying that um, a lot of the baby boomer generation needs to move out of their house yeah. because there's not enough people <laughs> in their properties you know I I, I I kind of take exception to that, it's sort of like, you're telling your parents you better move out because five people should live in the house, not two. Uh, you know, that's that's one of those things that, you know, despite the fact that, you know, realistically you can't do that, um, you know, we, again, going back to our inventory issue and, you know, you and I have lots to talk about today, but the inventory issue I think is going to be the mainstay here in Ontario for years to come. I think this is one that has to get solved.
2: Yeah, we, we used to, we recently hosted a summit with the, in conjunction with the Ontario Home Builders, and FERPA the Federation of Rental Providers of Ontario and we talked about the supply issue both in owners and on the rental side because people will choose different options at different times of their lives and as part of that we polled Ontarians and Todd over eighty percent of Ontarians said that they believe that home affordability property ownership is going to be a major issue in the next campaign, and it was well over 90% for millennials, really no surprise.
0: Yeah, and and I think that, and, and, and I have to be cautious because I know you're you an ex-politician, but I believe that a lot of what just happened is also in anticipation of the upcoming election next year.
2: Oh, <laughs> you can call me recovering politician, might be even an ex-politician. Oh yeah, for sure, and um, you know, that's why we've been in there quite a bit trying to get good ideas on the table around supply. Because they'll be thinking even more about it as we get closer to a June election, there's no doubt. And a big thing that happened in British Columbia that was a long standing government wasn't as popular as they wanted to be, and they're only months off from an election campaign. That's always the risk.
0: Yeah, of course. Hey, listen, Tim, uh, I'd like you to stay put. Um, when we come back, I definitely want to talk more, because we, you and I have a lot to talk about, actually, about the inner workings of real estate and some of the, some of the things that you're actually uh, having happen in the next little while. So, Outstanding. Excellent. i stay stay put. Excellent. <laughs> folks, we'll be right back with Tim Hudak. He is CEO of Ontario Real Estate Association. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Mr. Tim Hudak. He is CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. You know Tim also as one of our great hosts here at News Talk 1010. And Tim, just before the break, you and I were talking about supply. And, you know, there is definitely a difference between the number of listings versus supply because supply is, you know, we, we put supply and population in the same ratio, not just listings. But um, a lot of new stuff coming up. You know, you've been in the news a lot, by the way. Uh, you know, I've been following it, obviously. Good, bad, and, uh, or ugly? Uh, well, you know, all of it. And and, 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 and and I'll explain some of it. I was on with uh, Ryan and Jay um, this this week. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that you know popped up, of course, is the fact that we've got a lot going on and right now the government is thinking of or in part of your suggestion was the idea of double ending the you know representing both the buyer and seller and that there needs to be some changes here and one of the things that you know, if if some of our listeners aren't aware, I spent 25 years in real estate uh, and I have to tell you the hardest thing anybody can do is represent both buyer and seller in a transaction even in a friendly situation without competing offers. Now all of a sudden you've got a run-up of the economy and the real estate world the way we have multiple offers. I mean heck, if you've got 75 offers, how can you represent one of them if you're the listing agent? And so, you know, you've, you've put that in the forefront. Um, I don't know if everybody knows how these changes actually can occur.
2: Okay. So that's a great question. So when I was hired as CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association back for December, um, there's really two big marching orders. Number one was to raise the profile of our association or kind of say we're in the media more often, we're getting more meetings with government and having more influence on policy and I feel good about that. The second one they wanted is they wanted a review of the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act. That's yes. the REBA. foundation legislation yes. exactly of known course. as REBA to the real estate community or general listeners. It's the rules that govern the profession because it has been looked at since 2002. Yeah. And yeah, the, exactly. the world's changed tremendously in those years with its prices, the use of technology, the sophistication of consumers. And I'm really happy that we now have that on the table. The government listened to our advice. We we focused on three things. uh, Raising the bar when it comes to education and continuing education for realtors. Modernizing our code of ethics, the rules that govern how we interact as realtors and with the public. And third, making sure there's a, a good cop in the system for those few that break the rules and take advantage of people To throw the book at them. Sure. And I've always been impressed by how realtors, you know, that are working hard, believe in their consumers, are out for people, they really get mad when they see some of the few in the profession that break those rules. One of the items the government said on the table is on this double ending and multiple representation. And a view we need to be careful about is. Let's not make sure. Let's not say that the Toronto market, the hot Toronto market of the spring, is a reality for Toronto all the time or the province as a whole. Let's make sure sure we have the right long term perspective here.
0: Yeah, and the nice thing is, is that when we talk about AREA, that's the Ontario Real Estate Association, not TREB being Toronto Real Estate Board or any of the, you know, very focused geographical uh, areas, but in general because of the changes in technology and I, I I, watched you know I come from the days when at first first and foremost you couldn't fax an offer you couldn't email an offer there was no email but when you had an offer you had to actually print six copies and everybody had to initial sign all six copies every single change so you know people would always say why are realtors at the house till midnight well because we had to sign so much paper you look far <laughs> younger than that you were the pre-email <laughs> yeah, yeah, era yeah, was, holy smokes yeah it was something I gotta tell you but you know at the end of the day now that we've seen this advance One of the biggest concerns, of course, is put a a level playing field for both the consumers. You know, being a buyer and a seller, the seller obviously wants the highest price. Then we talk about the, the buyer, and they obviously want the best deal. One of the things, and we, we, we heard this, we got a bunch of feedback because when we were with, with our show here, one of the things is that the consumers are saying, well, one of the reasons why, you know, they're pushing to be able to separate the two, because everybody thinks that it's because the, the negotiability of commissions. See, realtors will turn around, they don't have to say this, but they'll say, I'll give you a better deal if I do the deal, both sides myself and that's not the law and I don't think our consumers understand that that when you sign your listing agreement and if let's say whatever commission it is that you sign and you pay one to the to the buyer agent and, and one to the, being the listing agent when you take those two it doesn't have to be negotiable. That is a personal decision by a realtor, it's not the law. Right. And now what we've got is we've got a lot of people saying, well, if you guys are taking away that ability, it's only because you want to put more money in the pocket of the realtor. And it's like, hang on, actually, it's a focal point to put more money and be be fair to both parties in the transaction. Do you
2: agree? Yeah, exactly. And it has nothing to do with the, the income side. It's about you know what's in the best interest of, of consumers to get the best advice. And this came into focus uh, during a marketplace story yeah, you saw last that. year, yeah. which was around both uh, a competitive bidding situation of multiple bids and you had the multi-representation issue. The important thing though too not to lose sight of so i was in in pembroke a couple of days ago and i've been traveling around the province in my job not every market is toronto right and a lot sure. of the listeners out there live in other communities and at the same time they may have a realtor they want to work with who's an expert in that particular geography or that field or that they've got the special relationship with you know as in pembroke they're saying there's you know, only one person that knows that town and sells a real estate there sure. so you need to find the right balance between giving the consumer the right to choose the realtor they want to work with and making sure that there's good, strong ethics and understanding and there's an agreement on both sides, if the realtor is on both sides of the deal, that there's consent, understanding what that means and there's no conflict of interest.
0: You know, that that marketplace um, uh, issue that you talked about, it was interesting because they also went down to Australia and I don't know if you caught the part about the auction. (laughs) And, and, you know, I have to tell you, in a multiple offer situation, I've always been an advocate of the auction style because a lot of people are struggling and especially you know if, if again Toronto is not less necessarily the the whole real estate world in itself but for us, it is right now, and when we focus on this, the idea of an auction-style offering system might work because it's full disclosure. Everybody's right there saying, "This is what I'm willing to pay." This is what I'm willing. To pay. You know, nobody can turn around and say bait and switch because, again, with some of these uh, some of these issues that have come up, there have been issues where somebody did the. You know, you need to pay a hundred thousand dollars more. Or why? Well, that's how you're going to get. it. They didn't need to. And so there's been a few unscrupulous agents out there and they've been creating some problems.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I think about it through um, my own eyes and experience. And it's all add to my last point too, like sometimes in parts outside of Toronto where you might have a dozen bids or more, others just want to sell the property. Yeah. And in some places it's five, six months for a property turnover or more. So, you know, we got to make sure we have something that's going to work for the province as a whole and not a one size fits all. On your point, so that's allowed today under the law, the notion of a, a public option. Some people... Take it, but a lot of people don't take it. So here's the other side of the coin. I don't think you should force people into that. Give them the choice of the model we have now, yep. or if they want to do a public auction, they can do that. For Deb and I, we sold a house in Toronto recently. And I just, the notion of like the Australia with all the buyers and then the noisy neighbors, noisy neighbors coming and saying, you know, what's going on here? Stay in the sure. front lawn. It's an invasion of privacy though too, and I don't think I'd be comfortable with that if they're saying, ah, Hudak let his roof go or his furnaces be changed and you know he yeah. smoked or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. You'd be careful on that.
0: See, I, I like the circus, okay? Because I'm, I'm a marketing guy, and, the, <laughs> and the more noise you can make, you know, a lot of people say I don't like open houses. I used to have hundreds of people at open houses, and we get like six offers out of an open house. So yep. I like that, you know, that kind of style. So we'll see. I don't, I don't think it's going to come to the forefront anytime soon. Definitely, um, you know, there's lots, there's lots that we can talk about, but more importantly. Um, um, you know, who should be controlling these rules? So, you know, you have REBA, you've got RICO as the police and, you know, unfortunately, they're always the afterthought. When you talk about the Real Estate Council of Ontario, they're the ones who bring down the hammer on realtors when they cross a line, typically, or they try to make a judgment call if the public have been harmed and the realtor didn't follow the, you know, the proper rules and regulations. But at the end of the day, that's kind of after the thought, okay? How and who should we get to start you know controlling more of these rules because ARIA can't do it because you're ju- you're the association for the realtors is the provincial government the right people to be working on this
2: well ultimately they're the ones that have to pass laws that's the way things work but we've got a lot of responsibility ourselves as as realtors to bring good ideas to the table and when I travel in the province I hear that all the time about raising the standards for those bad apples that are there people want them to crack down to get them out of the system and make sure education system is more practical some of the examples that I hear I'm always of the theory that it's hard to score a goal from your end of the ice right so take (laughs) control yourself be in the opponent's end right so what does that mean well we're putting some really good ideas on the table on raising the bar so if somebody holds himself out as a commercial realtor for example or a condo or cottages shouldn't there be a special sort of license in that area some special training so consumers know they've actually hit that bar there's an issue around escalation clauses which we see as an anti-consumer initiative it can ratchet prices up and so it causes the realtors to break the privacy of bidders by putting that out there there's another example and you know the realtors that will go through the the realtor school the college but it's a lot of book learning and then on the job you learn about negotiations and getting to know people and developing your network what if we injected that earlier on so then when they come out of the college they've got more of the hands-on practical knowledge and how to do a deal so that's how we got the, the puck at their end of the ice Putting those ideas on the table and hopefully they'll listen.
0: Just a quick note. Uh, so, Aria will soon no longer be the educators uh, as of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the last
2: last students, new ones to come in 2019, the last graduates 2020. 2020. Okay. Um, any advice for the new people taking over? Well, listen, it's a it's a great profession. You got to work your tail off. You know, you're sort of seven seven days a week. You got to be a people person and hustle. But it's tremendously rewarding, and I, I just love the smile on the face of realtors when they tell me the story about helping that first family, that family get their first home, for example. So it's very rewarding. Uh, so we'll continue to deliver the education until um, 2020, and then a new provider takes over that point, and I see our job then at ARIA as being sort of the watchdogs to make sure we continue to raise the bar in education. Yeah,
0: Excellent. Listen, Tim, always a pleasure having you here. Uh, Greatly appreciate you coming in. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch and we'll watch this market.
2: Thank you, Todd. Good seeing you. Thank you again for having me on the program. Yeah, no problem. Folks, that
0: was Mr. Tim Hudak, CEO of Ontario Real Estate Association. Hey, listen, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week and especially having Tim here as my guest and uh, and keeping everything simple. So remember, uh, next week I'm back And I call them the three amigos, the past, the present, and the future president of ARIA will be joining me. So you don't want to miss that. We've got a lot to talk about next week. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next week.